0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we explore the science of crime and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast. This the latest in our weekly update series. I'm joined by co-hosts Tom Meehan and Tony D'Onofrio uh, and our producer, Diego Rodriguez. And uh, what we're doing is we just had a, a meeting last week, uh, a planning meeting. Uh, we're going to make a couple changes you'll hear in the intro, outro um, to the podcast itself. And um, we're going to spice up a couple things. We're also going to have uh, invited guests for very short interviews on anywhere from one to four of the episodes monthly, depending on what's going on and who wants to talk and who you all want to listen to. Um, but we're really moving out on uh, leveraging uh, all the types of expertise that are here at the LPRC, at the University of Florida, and of course, of course, with our membership of just about 200 corporations now that make up the Loss Prevention Research Council's community, um, and more coming on board. We're excited. We'll be uh, announcing more new retailers, more new uh, high-tech members, more uh, solution partners uh, on the LPAP side. So, Uh, The community is coming together, uh, maybe some uh, industry associations as well coming up here. Um, So let me go with no further ado and start to move forward. Talk a little bit about uh, LPRC. As as people know, what we do is not just research and development, hopefully some innovation, some rigorous uh, field evaluation, but also spend a lot of time uh, and really, I think our hallmark is the year-round engagement opportunities here. Uh, it's a place, and it's been this way for almost two decades now, with uh, seven working groups uh, where our members can engage with each other, engage with our research scientists, um, help us move the needle, move forward on getting better and better. Um, and again, if we take a quick look at the working groups that we've got, you know, the, really probably the oldest existing one is our product protection working group Um and that is one where we're working primarily on anti-theft, and of course mostly shoplifting, uh, whether it's individual opportunistic thefts or, of course, something more organized to very organized. Um, and uh, with partners like Procter and Gamble, um, we've been able to push the limits of product protection really through the entire, you know, the supply chain as well. Um, but looking at what do we do to understand a potential or a known booster or Um, frequent offender is approaching and entering the building what do we do what can we do to better understand who these people are and how they're operating what are the things we might do with the design and layout of that interior location if we're talking about anti-shoplifting can we move fixtures around what about height visibility sight lines um, obstructions by signage uh, other fixtures uh, things like that so that's part of what we look at part of the calculus there uh, of course, another part is our our team. Uh, there are not a lot of associates or employees, team members in stores now, uh, for a lot of reasons because of technology, because of funding, and because it's difficult to recruit, train, and retain people and uh, recruiting at the front end. So more and more technology that we're relying on. But with the team members we got, you know, how do we better select and train and mentor? How do we better lead and manage so that we're getting the right kind of engagement? uh, with, with our customers and with others, um, that we're also though increasing the risk calculus, uh, making it more difficult, uh, riskier that you're more likely to be caught or reducing the benefit, uh, by good service and engagement. In that way, uh, we then turn of course, to looking at the products themselves in that zone one, you know, what are are other things that we can do so that that product's less desirable to steal through benefit denial, whether it's ink and dye tags, uh, whether it's, uh, Something that's implanted in the firmware, if it's a digital or electronic product, like we're seeing with uh, cordless drills and some other items, Uh, sometimes now it looks like ink cartridges may come up uh, in that area. Of course, software, gift cards or others that uh, other products that have that benefit denial device, uh, that that mode and mechanism of action going on so that thief is not going to be able to convert it to cash or at least very readily. So why even bother stealing it? Um. And then we're looking at, next, we're looking at uh, other things that we can do with uh, electronic tagging, of course, EAS, and sometimes RFID now uh, that can act as EAS, and uh, that makes it riskier that somebody's going to be, that they're uh, going to be caught because of the amount of items they've got, that uh, they've not paid for the items, of course, and so on. They've removed them without payment. So some of those kind of things. We're looking at Zone 2, of course, with public view monitors to try and, instill some of that risk into the equation a little more in that category area. The other one's that zone one, the item, the product, uh, the target of theft, uh, how do we make it less uh, beneficial as we talked about benefit denial, uh, riskier for them to take it that more likely they'll be caught and or more difficult for them to remove or it's not even on the shelf, you've got to go ask for it or may not even be in the store. Uh, We might have locking fixtures of course that make it difficult to remove any or many uh, they also might make a lot of noise, increasing their perceived risk and things like that. So, a lot of what we work on is what are these modes of action, you know, increase effort, increase potential uh, feelings, perceptions of risk so they don't want to don't want to commence or, or progress, uh, and, of course, benefit denial. So, uh, those are some of the things that we're doing, just a few. Um, and with 100 solution partner members of the LPRC, we have – An amazing, amazing array of technologies. You can see these online in our solutions directory at lpresearch.org. And we're adding to them all the time in there. Each of our solution members can post uh, five of their solutions in there. Uh, We can link that into the engagement lab. Now we're well over 200 technologies installed in that lab. uh, In in that zone one, that target area zone two, the immediate area around it, the proximate area, like uh, enhanced public view monitors signage, things like that that can affect risk, reward, and effort. Um, you'll see, uh, again, the layout design of those fixtures. Um, we've got, I think, over 26 cameras now uh, that are, are from AXIS. They're from Bosch. Uh, they're from Hanwha. Uh, they're all types of cameras. They're in different angles, different uh, resolutions, focal points, lens types um, that are, of course, 360, pinpoint, all types of different uh, arrays here uh, we're leveraging those cameras too by the way uh, the high def ones uh, for some uh, of our uh, working with uh, big organizations uh, on working on them building ai camera vision or computer vision models um, in that zone three area which is the entire interior we've got boldox gates um, we've got uh, a front end uh, pos uh, solutions in there ai for instance from everseen uh, what's going on there? Of course, uh, somebody's not ringing up items. Uh, they're not completing a transaction. They're ringing up the wrong items, and a dozen or maybe two dozen other ways uh, that people try or inadvertently commit fraud uh, or theft or uh, unintentional m- removal. Um, so, a lot happening at that point of sale area with EPVMs and and so forth in that transaction area. We've got a whole lot of analytics running in the background. Um, We've got uh, probably a dozen now of our members that uh, have developed world-class technologies. Uh, These things, again, these technologies, these solutions can be viewed in our solutions directory online. Uh, You can come into the labs and view them. And I think a really neat part of our LPRC lab complex is the ability to compare and contrast what might work or work best in your particular environment with your particular situation or work particularly well integrated with some of the other solutions you've got to build solution sets, which to us is uh, those poly treatments as opposed to say a mono treatment. Sometimes can escalate obviously the the impact the effectiveness of what you're trying to do as long as it's cost effective and um, and so forth. So a, a big part of our labs and our team uh, in that working group uh, are working on how do we look at put together solution sets, how do we test them, how do we break them, if you will, metaphorically, so that we can strengthen them and and enhance those things. We've got uh, coming up, upcoming will be some 5G, I mean, real 5G, not 4G LTE cores running and emulating 5G and speeding up a little bit, but real 5G cores with an amazing up, uh, uplift in the bandwidth uh, and obviously a dramatic drop in the latency, uh, or in other words, they they provide a lot more lightning-fast speed. So, how do we integrate some of these technologies? Can some of them take SIM cards and be linked into cellular networks for also allowing for more mobility and movement uh, as the layout and design of the of the interiors change or as problem sets change, uh, we can more readily adapt, uh, maybe not as tethered to uh, Ethernet cable, PoE, and things like that. There's still a huge leap forward or switches and fiber, um, which, uh, by the way, our labs are getting ready to upgrade and it looks like the first, maybe second, but probably first quarter of 23 with some really neat organizations like Telaide leading the charge here, but with Axis and and Serverly uh, and Bosch um, and Johnson Controls International, Sensormatic and others, they're tech people that are just world-class people um, coming in there and helping us figure out how to do this. I think Hanwha is involved as well. Um, and sorry if I'm missing anybody that's not there, but th- we have to now. We're, we're going to have over 400 technologies in the in the six interior labs that we've got, um, and so those need to be connected, whether wirelessly or through fiber, uh, in addition to some Ethernet, um, but we need more speed, flexibility, just like uh, as needed in the stores, uh, particularly we're running things into our SOC lab, our command center, uh, where that is one of the most capable, I think, now in the nation and in, in dramatically increasing in, in uh, capability. So that's just a little bit about what we're doing in the product protection working group. In addition to field testing products, our team has been out interviewing uh, and, and, and seeing what the impact of new display fixtures, new tagging and other cabling and other types of tethering technologies. What's the impact? How well are they working, getting feedback from customers? How does that affecting uh, their uh, user experience and their outcomes that they're looking for? How does it affect employees, their workday, their impact? What's their feedback on how well they think things are working? What improvements could we make in the tech or in the deployment or execution of that tech uh, or the integration of that tech with other of other items or, or tactics and solutions that we've got out there? Um, we've also, because we've got a couple, three, four now, I think, uh, security uh, officer uh, solution members, uh, we're excited about those members uh, and looking as they continue to upgrade and enhance what the what those people are able to do to support the normal operations of a store, as well as obviously provide deterrence and disruption, documentation uh, to reduce theft, fraud, and violence, and how do we weave uh, those solutions in. Uh, So some of that field testing, of course, always we're working with active criminal offenders, bringing them now into our simulated store lab, the engagement lab, as well as working with them in the wild, uh, working with them in stores, uh, talking to them in the parking lot, having them uh, demonstrate things, getting good information from you know larger and larger sample sizes of actual offenders. So um, with no further ado, uh, I'm going to turn it over to Tony D'Onofrio, um, but stay tuned. What we'll do is e- each episode, I'm going to kind of go through some of what's going on in working groups, who's involved in those groups, where those groups are headed, what kind of playbooks that they're putting together uh, for theft, for anti-fraud, and for anti-violence. Uh, what are some playbooks that the groups can put together our researchers working with dozens and dozens now we're we're over 70 major retail corporations and all their divisions so we've got the experts we've got the practitioners uh, at every level in the organization that we're working with on top of now having a seven person uh, research team double what we've had in the past so stay tuned tony let me head over to you
1: thank you reed for those uh, great updates uh, let me start this week and focused on a new article that I just published, uh, and it's uh, available on my website, TonyDoronoffi.com, and also on LinkedIn uh, in my profile. The article is titled "The Worst Is Yet to Come," and for many, 2023 we will feel like a recession. I opened the article with a quote from Robert F. Kennedy, who, in June back in 1966, said, "Quote." There is a Chinese curse which says, "May he live in interesting times." Like it or not, we live in interesting times. They are times of danger and uncertainty, but they are also the most creative of any time in the history of mankind. Unquote. Again, the title of my article was, "The uh, The worst is yet to come, and for many, 2023 will feel like a recession." is actually derived from the latest International Monetary Fund report on the state of the economic world in the fall of 2022. So we just issued. The IMF now forecasts global GDP growth to slow dramatically from the 6% in 2021 to 3.2% in 2022, to an even lower 2.7% in 2023. The news, if you look at the report, and again, you can see the chart in my article, is is especially bleak for advanced economies such as uh, the United States. According to the IMF, a third of the world faces two consecutive quarters of negative growth, which, as we heard a few times, is a technical definition of a recession. Uh, global inflation is forecast to rise from 4.7% in 2021 to 8.8% in 2022, only dropping to 6.5% in 2023, and again, only dropping to 4.1% in 2024. And in the article, again, I show a chart from Euro Monitor, a different publication, which again shows similar high inflation rates into 2023. Also, in the article, I list all the other risks, in addition to the economic ones that I just spoke about, Uh, and these are actually from the Economist Intelligence Unit. And these are the potential risk scenarios, and there's 10 of them, that they see uh, for the global economy uh, that could reshape it in 2023. Number one, a cold winter makes the European energy crisis worse. There's a high probability this one will happen, and it would have a very high impact. Number two, extreme weather adds to the commodity price spikes, fueling global food insecurity. Again, high probability, very high impact. Number three, direct conflict erupts between China and Taiwan, forcing the U.S. to intervene. Moderate probability with a high, very high impact. Number four, high global inflation fuel social unrest, very high probability, moderate impact. Number five, new variant of coronavirus or another infectious disease sends the global economy back into recession, moderate probability, very high impact. Number six, interstate cyber war cripples state infrastructure in major economies moderate probability, very high impact. Number seven, further deterioration in the West and China ties, which will force a further decoupling of the global economy, moderate probability, high impact. Number eight, aggressive monetary tightening leads to global recession, moderate probability, moderate impact. Number nine, China's zero COVID uh, leads to severe recession, low probability, high impact, and number 10, Russia-Ukraine conflict turns into a global war, very low probability, very high impact. And this is a big one, as we just heard this week uh, on the uh, strike in Poland that was through trying to ourselves assess what that actually means uh, in terms of uh, this becoming a true risk. Over a half a billion people live in countries that rely on Russian and Ukrainian wheat, so it's a major food supplier. Two-thirds of the world population also lives in countries that are neutral or Russian-leaning as it relates to the Russian wars. In other words, we're not united in supporting Ukraine and around the globe. And finally, China remains a wild card for the global economy due to its size, manufacturing importance, and its continued zero-COVID policy. So what does this mean for the shopper or the consumer, which is important to this audience? So in the article, I share new research from First Insight that, that shows that inflation is lowering consumer confidence across multiple major economies. As JP Morgan summarized here is how inflation will impact consumer confidence and spending. Rising inflation will mean consumers will spend less overall, consumers will trade down to private label brands, and the effects of inflation on cost of living will be uneven across regions with Europe having the biggest impact. And in the article, I provide very detailed data on this. US consumers are already spending an additional $445 per month buying the same items as the day before uh, and the price is going up because of inflation. 31% of US, USA parents said they are struggling to cover day-to-day expenses. 56% do not consider themselves to be financially healthy. And 46% of 55 to 64 year old are worried about their retirement savings. Inflation concerns are also expected to spill under, into the holiday season. And again, read the article to see what that impact uh, actually looks like. As Deloitte points out, the longevity of this current spell of inflation raises important questions. Short-term spending shifts that consumers may use to weather inflation storms run the risk of cementing into longer-term habits. While consumers have demonstrated that inflation perception can quickly change, it remains to be seen how quickly the spending compasses can recover. The article also covers some very uh, important details of what this new world of risk and inflation and a concerned consumer means for retailer. Uh, It also goes through a lot of disconnects in terms of what retailer thinks is happening and what is actually happening in the world. For example, 58% of retail executives thinks that consumers are shopping more for deals, but this is only true for 40% of consumers. 43% 43% of retailers think consumers are buying less overall, yet, yet only 29% admit that is the case. And again, a lot more stats in the article that point to that. Summarizing, many retailers are already dealing with excess inventory issues after overordering during the peak of the supply chain shortage, having seasonal items delivering uh, late or... Uh, really uh, not meeting the consumer preferences, strap consumer spending less could force retailers to heavily discount uh, items, leaving to lower profitability, especially in the second half of 2022 and into 2023. Due to inflationary and microeconomic headwinds, the most vulnerable retailers are expected to be those that sell to the middle and low-income consumers selling primarily discretionary goods that have a weak uh, balance sheet. A slow economy in the latter half of 2022 and into 23 may result in a wave of store closings and bankruptcies, especially for those with a high debt, but it's not likely to get to the same level as we were talking pre-pandemic with the retail apocalypse. So, If I had to summarize where we're at in the fall of 2022 going into 2023, we are indeed living in interesting times. Both consumers and retailers are facing substantial challenges ahead. But as the opening quote reminds us, history is filled with difficult moments. And if you think about it, the smartphone, the internet, e-commerce, and all the great innovation that's around us, including a lot of it, that's here at the Loss Prevention Research Council are really a great reminder that we are living in a very creative time in history where we can do something about it. So in my view, keep the faith because the best is yet to come. And with that, let me turn it over to Tom.
2: Well, thank you, Reed, and thank you, Tony, as always. Uh, Very excited to be back on the podcast. I think we're all out and about traveling today, so I'm out on the West Coast. Uh, And uh, taping this early in the morning, but wanted to talk about crypto Uh, the FTX Debacle and I don't know if you're following any of the news you would see this but basically, you know um, a few months back we had Celsius and a couple of the the crypto lending platforms or crypto markets uh, Basically file for bankruptcy and bankruptcy and billions of dollars were lost and FTX was one of the bigger players 30 year old CEO Um, you know, something like $8 billion lost in one day. I mean, massive impact on the crypto market. Byance, who would be FTX's biggest competitor, uh, actually was going to buy them and bail them out and then looked at some of their paperwork. And uh, literally in a week's time, it went from this the most unexpected merger to FTX for bankruptcy and closing down. And what this caused in the crypto market was what you went from is a crypto winter, um, you know, so a crypto winter where the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency kept going down to a crypto avalanche. I mean, it was a massive impact. And all of the major exchanges were affected. And actually, myself personally and some other people I know got notices, you know, basically in the middle of the night from other cryptos saying based on circumstances that are outside of our control and regulatory filings that came up, we are freezing all of the assets uh, and not allowing withdrawals or lending anymore in crypto. And so this is a really interesting story because while it's some at one side, it's a very muddy, if you will, situation because you have crypto, which in some cases is very is similar to a Ponzi scheme with some of these companies, and I'm not saying they're doing Ponzi scheme. I'm just using that as a, a kind of baseline to compare it to, where you're being loaned, you're you're taking loans out on cryptocurrency, and then what ends up happening is they'll, as these companies or these exchanges continue to invest in crypto and crypto rises, there the money rises more and more. So you take a loan out, um, and they give you. A, a loan based on crypto and they keep in- investing in crypto. And when they're investing in crypto and there's these huge gains game-